Welcome to The Wildlife, a program that probes the mysteries of the animal world through interviews with scientists and other wildlife investigators. I'm Laurel Nimi, your host for The Wildlife, and also author of Animal Investigators, How the World's First Wildlife Forensic Lab is Solving Crimes and Saving Endangered Species. Today on The Wildlife, I'll talk with the World Conservation Union's Emma Brooks about illegal wildlife trade in Vietnam and her research on whether commercial farming of a traded species like porcupines helps or actually hurts. Most animals in Vietnam's wildlife trade end up on the plates of wealthy restaurant patrons. Just like gourmands in Europe and America treat themselves to vintage wine, in Vietnam the elite indulge in the meats of wild animals. Typically, the rarer the animal, the higher the price and the more prestigious it is, and thus the more sought after it is. In Vietnam and elsewhere, commercial wildlife farming, meaning the breeding of wild species for legal sale, is often promoted to supply this demand while preventing overhunting in the wild. However, in a study published in August 2010 in Biological Conservation, IUCN program officer Emma Brooks concludes that wildlife farming is instead having the opposite effect. Brooks focused on porcupines because that's the most widely traded species and one that's promoted by the government. She and her Vietnamese assistant then posed as researchers investigating the benefits of porcupine farming to help poor communities and conducted surveys with managers of nearly 70 porcupine farms and owners of nine wild meat restaurants. As you'll hear, Vietnamese law requires commercial porcupine farms to stock their farms with captive bred stock. However, in practice, that doesn't happen. Brooks found that almost 60% of farm managers illegally use wild-caught, not captive-bred porcupines on their farm. That is having an effect on the species. Almost 70% of commercial porcupine farmers noted that wild porcupines had disappeared from local forests where they could previously be found. As a result, illegal hunters now go further afield to trap porcupines in other Vietnamese provinces and neighboring Laos. At the same time, the commercial farmers seek to expand their porcupine stock and provide a ready market for wild-caught porcupines, thus exacerbating the demand for illegal hunting. Brooks also discovered that restaurants prefer wild-caught porcupines, not farm-raised, because that's what their clients want. Thus, at the moment, farm porcupines don't provide a cheaper alternative or replace demand from restaurants, which was the original objective for commercial farming. Rather, the current market for farm porcupines is simply other farms where they become breeding stock. Thus, although Southeast Asian governments have encouraged commercial wildlife farming as an alternative for illegal hunting for the past decade, Brooks's recent study is one of the first to put the farm's success to the test. What she finds is disturbing, namely that porcupine farming is not only failing to protect porcupines, but instead seems to be harming them. However, she cautions that her study doesn't show that all commercial wildlife farming is bad, but rather should be considered on a case-by-case -case basis and a species-by-species -species basis. She suspects commercial wildlife farming is more likely to work as an alternative to illegal trade when the wildlife is for subsistence rather than for a luxury good. In addition, there would need to be stronger enforcement and disincentives for illegal trade. When I talked to Emma, I asked her how she first got interested in illegal wildlife trade in Vietnam. Well, it was a little bit of an accident. My background has sort of been working with um, 
definitely zoology and then I got more into conservation um, but one of my first jobs after doing my bachelor's degree was actually working um, for an international development consultancy looking at pro-poor issues and natural resources so that was very much looking at um, how you can use nature for people and preserve nature at the same time so when I went back to do my masters I was quite interested in um, the link between livelihoods and wildlife and um, there's good connections at my university with studies and uh, organizations in Vietnam and one of the questions that or one of the partner organizations was looking at was they wanted to know more about the wildlife trade in Vietnam and they had the links over there they know a little bit about what the trade is doing but not, no specific um, details on exactly what's going on there so they basically were very keen for people to come over and do any research that could help really. Oh interesting so what university was it that you were at? This was the University of East Anglia in Norwich in the UK. And what partner organizations were you working with in Vietnam? I was working with WCS that's the Wildlife Conservation Society and also ENV Vietnam which is education um, organization for nature in Vietnam. They're in fact one of the few environmental wildlife organizations in Vietnam that's a Vietnam-based organization is that right? Absolutely almost all of the other organizations working in Vietnam are international organizations with an office there but ENV are actually a Vietnamese organization. So what is the legal wildlife trade situation in Vietnam? What sort of animals are being exploited and why? The there is a, <laughs> it's basically a, a huge problem in Vietnam um, with international uh, with the wildlife trading. Um, they will trade pretty much anything that they can make a profit from, and um, that involves pretty much all wildlife. Obviously, the probably the two largest wildlife trading issues in Vietnam and much of Southeast Asia is for traditional Chinese medicines, um, which is used even obviously outside China and also for wild meat which is very popular and is also a sign of status to eat and so wild products well for centuries up until now it's always been if you wanted a food you would go and take it from the wild but there's also um, the association that the wild products are much better than um, captive bred or farmed products anyway so there's very strong association to have wild products from wild sources. So it's not poor hunters having nothing else to eat who want or need to go out into the forest and get what they can no. to eat? It, it did used to be a lot of um, subsistence farming. Historically, it was subsistence hunting. But now, uh, wild meat is associated as a luxury food item. So it's very different from the situation you often see in Africa, for instance, where it usually is still for subsistence. What kinds of meats are there, or what kind of animals are there that are being eaten? Is it all antelope-type animals? Um, they will actually eat pretty much um, anything they can, um, but a lot of, you do get deer, and uh, uh, porcupines and but pretty much anything they can get their hands on so crocodile is a popular one and other reptiles and boars and turtles is it sold in 
all the restaurants and whatnot, or is it really a private thing? It's something that wild meat is definitely available on the markets, but in a lot of cases, it will either be you will either go to a restaurant to eat it, or if you would have it at a celebration. So for things like uh, large parties and weddings and so on, this is the optimum time to buy um, wild meat. And so you'd get a caterer that actually would go and source all these meats for you and bring them to the events to share with your friends. Are there certain ones that are have more status than others? Do porcupines, for instance, have less status because they're more common? Um, it's sort of price related. So there's a some things. Uh, another thing is you commonly see is the rice wine, and rice wine is you can get that out at any event, and um, you can buy the rice wine with animals inside the bottle of wine, and the bottle of wine therefore is proportional to the size of the animal. And you you most commonly see this with snakes in and scorpions in, but you will see them with monkey, and you will see them with bear parts in. So obviously these um, larger mammals have a higher status. But when it comes to just eating it for the meat, porcupines, although very common, are actually now one of the highest status just because it's very expensive meat. So the more expensive meats is a sign of um, status. So that will usually be the slightly rarer mammals. Speaking of porcupines, how, <laughs> how big are they? What do they look like? So... Porcupines, as you'd expect, they're brown and they're covered in spines, which are obviously very sharp. <laughs> um, they're about, an adult porcupine is probably um, about a foot long or so, and they get way up to about 40 pounds maybe. So they grow to quite a considerable size. I mean, you're talking sort of a small dog or very fat cat. Are the spines part of the cooking process <laughs> or add to the, <laughs> add to the thrill? <laughs> the spines come out. The spines come out very easily, so luckily you don't have to crunch on them. They do actually use the spines in um, decorations and jewelry making, and so on and so forth. But that's not what they uh, kill the porcupines for. That's just an added bonus. <laughs> and who is doing the killing of the porcupines? Um, it'll usually be you. The um, restaurants will buy the porcupines alive, so the restaurants will kill them just before preparing them. In Vietnam, there's a lot of um, commercial wildlife farming. Or, the, or basically the breeding of wild species for legal sale. And it's been promoted mm -hmm. as a strategy to solve the problem of wildlife consumption and reduce demand, or rather su uh, supply the demand from captive sources instead of from wild-caught sources. So mm -hmm. uh, how does that promotion work? How, you know, how does the government promote commercial wildlife farming? Um, the government actually... Uh, will give out grants and bank loans and so on to help um, people get started in farming of various animals. This is particularly encouraged in more rural communities and also where farmers have been hit. I mean, Southeast Asia has had a lot of diseases. I'm sure you've heard of SARS and the H5N1 bird flu and so on. And this has resulted in a lot of... Um, livestock having to be um, killed off and this can hit the farmers quite hard so adding um, encouraging wildlife farming has been a way of encouraging economic growth for these communities that have been hit. And is it for certain species or what species is it for? The most common by far at the moment is the porcupines 
because they are so easily adaptable and you can you'll commonly see them they're literally being kept in enclosures that were previously used for other animals so if you have pigsties and all your pigs have died then you can just put porcupines in and they're really easy to look after and they're really easy to maintain if you want to do other farms like there's a lot of python farms and deer farms and crocodile farms you need very specialist uh, setup to do that and the government again will give you loans and help you get them started up but there's a lot more strict processes whereas for porcupines pretty much anyone can do them and people can farm them in their back garden and you'll see that they do do that and in chicken coops pretty much anywhere you can farm porcupines what do they eat what does if if i wanted to start a farm what would i need to know or i guess i don't need to know a whole lot <laughs> No, and again, they eat almost anything. They're probably one of the easiest uh, commercial animals to breed. And there are some people that I met that literally give these porcupine their leftovers, and that's what their porcupines live off. But more commonly, um, they eat vegetables and roots. And um, so you can get market scraps. You can go out and um, dig around in the forest and just bring home some vegetation and stuff. And this will keep the porcupines quite happy. In the wild, they're a little bit omnivorous as well, and they'll root around and eat bugs and worms and so on. But they're quite happy leave in leading an entirely vegetarian lifestyle. Are the farms, generally are the porcupines treated well and well cared for and healthy? Not really. For especially, you know, being a Westerner who likes pets and gets upset at zoos where you don't feel like the animals have enough space, it is quite difficult just go and see these farms and they're tiny tiny amounts of space and they are just thrown in food and the number of farmers that say oh you don't even need to, need to give them water when that's not strictly true and they if the porcupines get um, angry or upset or aggressive they're often beaten with sticks to keep them calm and keep them cowering in the corner and so on so you often see they have injury marks on them and so on and so forth it's not, for a lot of them, it's not very pleasant to see the conditions they're kept in. But the thing is, they still breed so well in these conditions. There is an incentive to treat them any better. So breeding isn't a problem. And how many really are kept in in farms like this? Um, the, so, uh, throughout the whole, at uh, what scale? Per farm or in the, in the Oh, area? actually, that's a great <laughs> question. How many, you know, how many per farm do you have big industrial farms or is it really the one or two and then also is there any estimate of how many in the country you know how many porcupines are in farms or commercial wildlife establishments in most cases you'll see that because these farms are basically just adapted from what people have in the space they have um they often have only a few pairs so i think the average you come across is about 10 10 pairs of porcupines, um, so 20 on a farm, that will be breeding. And they'll have usually two to three young at any one time, which they can produce twice a year. So there's big, big turnover on the um, uh, porcupines. But they do have much larger establishments, and they have farms of maybe 400 or so porcupines on them. When uh, at a much larger scale, although the Vietnamese... Uh, Forestry Protection Department, the FPD, do actually monitor farms and all farms have to be registered and all individuals on farms need to be registered so they are trying to monitor them. They're estimating that in 
um, one province of Vietnam alone there's over 8,000 porcupines but this is quite clearly a massive underestimate of the scale because most farms aren't registered and the farms are registered are um, giving very conservative estimates should we say of the number of porcupines they're keeping so literally it's thousands of thousands of porcupines being kept this way and what's the disincentive to registering your farm is there a tax on it then uh, in theory all they need to do um, is register with the FPD which is free and then the FPD will monitor the farm and come round once a year check that the numbers add up check that um, everything's fine and everything's above board but actually everyone I've spoken to has had to pay the FPD to start up their farm and be registered but technically it's supposed to be technically it's free <laughs> <laughs> but it isn't and how much do they end up paying in the end um, it's fairly nominal amount really especially considering the profits that can be made on these things it's probably but again it varies hugely so clearly it just depends who's who's knocking on your door that day but it will usually be between sort of 20 and 50 dollars to start up your farm it's not large and is there an annual monitoring fee or something like that other hidden fees uh, well again technically no but again often there is which would be a similar amount like maybe 10 to 20 dollars a year every time they come around to check how many porcupines you have speaking of profits you said it's quite profitable so how how much do the porcupines both you know how much does it cost to maintain the farms and then how much can you get for a porcupine maintaining them is really cheap to sort of um, the average um, farm setup so making sure that you've, you've got pen that is reasonably large enough and the porcupine can't run away from is about is only about um, $60 or so and then it's estimated maybe two or three dollars a month just to get, give them food and keep them in relatively good order when it actually comes to selling they either sell the um, porcupines as juveniles, juvenile pairs or adult pairs and if you sell a juvenile pair you can ask for maybe six hundred dollars and then it'll be closer to a thousand dollars for adults and especially I mean obviously that sounds uh, probably reasonably large anyway but in, v in Vietnam that that's very similar to the average salary that somebody might make anyway and this is just from selling one pair of porcupines so that's like a yearly salary yeah Perfect. wow so <laughs> that's quite a profit margin and Absolutely. so the average the average um, profit that a porcupine farmer is making at the moment is ten thousand dollars a year which is huge in Vietnam that's a massive amount and you can actually notice it because you'll see in a lot of the especially the more remote um, villages where people are still living a lot in sort of bamboo houses and so on um, you'll see these big cement houses going up and these are the porcupine farmers because they suddenly have a lot more money than anyone in these areas has. Does everyone want to do it? I mean with that kind of profit it would Absolutely. seem to be an expansion, expanding industry. It really is and it, it's fairly crazy because obviously the reason that porcupines are being farmed is because there's a demand for porcupine meat but none of the farmers are actually selling it to restaurants they're all selling it to other farmers because there's so many people that want to get in on this get rich quick scheme and this is why when 
um, you're asking about profits, I'm saying pairs because they're always selling pairs, a male and female pair, onto other farmers and none of them are going to the restaurants for meat. I was about to ask about that. Why <laughs> pears? Why as pears? <laughs> so how do the restaurants get their get their meat? The restaurants are still getting their meat from wild porcupines. So it's still an illegal uh, hunting trade supplying the restaurants for the meat. Now the study that you did basically exposed the pros and cons of this wildlife farming system using porcupine farming as a case study and in fact yours yours was really one of the first such studies that put the success of commercial wildlife farming to the test and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what that study involved how you undertook it okay so basically I went over to Vietnam and I worked with um, a Vietnamese assistant um, and we did socio-economic interviews so we basically went up to one province in um, Vietnam where porcupine farming has been really rocketing in the last few years and went from farm to farm and um, carried out interviews with the farmers themselves. Now obviously since uh, trading in porcupines is illegal uh, we were chatting to them as though we were interested in starting up farms or encouraging farms as a means of um, livelihoods so that they wouldn't be over, overly cautious about talking about illegal activities. And they were entirely enthusiastic about it. And I think it really helped having um, an English person there along with them. And um, we'd openly talk about the farms, everything about the farms, how to raise porcupines. I'm now an expert, could easily raise some my, myself. Um, and then got all the profit details and importantly, where the porcupines come from and where they get their porcupines from and where they know other farmers are getting their porcupines from. You said trading in porcupines is illegal. Is that trading from the wild or? Yeah, sorry, yeah. So that's the hunted wild source porcupines are illegal to trade. So those are bred in closed cycle breeding. So are entirely, have lived all their life on a farm. They're fine to trade and they're fine to sell to restaurants and they're fine to sell to other farmers. It's the ones that have been caught originally from the wild that can't be traded and it's illegal to do so. What did you find? Were the porcupines that were um, serving as the base breeding stock for these farms, were they from the wild or were they captive bred? In a large proportion of the cases, they were coming from the wild. So especially the ones, the the founder stocks, the initial uh, pairs that people are buying to start up their farm, about 60% or so um, of the time, people are still buying them from wild sources. And there's about, once they're, once, in most cases, once they've started their farm, they actually continue to expand their farm from other farmers but there's still about 30 percent or so that they continue to buy from from wild sources there was also in a few cases there are farms openly um, basically laundering wild animals which is where they're buying them from the traders so these are wild caught porcupines they're putting them in their farm registering them as farm animals and then selling them on as though they're farm bred ones which they're not at all but this way they're selling hundreds of porcupines at each, at each farm they're selling hundreds of wild caught ones illegally is it easy to register the animals yes well every time they register the animals the 
Um, FPD, in theory, comes around and checks, which they do. But as we've already seen, clearly they're accepting money. Um, and there are reports of... I've been to you know, some of these farms, like one of the really large farms had hundreds of animals in it. And they're very clearly wild caught because they're adults and they have marks still left on them from the hunting process. For instance, they use snares, so they'll have very obvious injuries on their legs. Or they'll have whip marks across their faces where they, they use the stick to beat them as they come out of their burrow. And the FPD are coming around and checking on these, and they're counting these as newborn babies. They're very easily not, obviously, not newborns at all, but they're letting them slide. Do the farms sell them to restaurants? Or it sounded like they were selling them just to other farms. So who is selling them to restaurants? Nobody? They are, they <laughs> are just selling them to other farms, basically. The only time um, any of the farmers are selling them to restaurants is basically if they have an accidental death. and then Or, or some of the males get too old to breed anymore. Then they'll, send, they'll sell those ones to restaurants. But the, the price has absolutely rocketed and it the price of porcupines has trebled over a three-year period and buying farmed uh, porcupines costs approximately double the price of buying wild-caught ones so not only is there too much of a demand for the um, farmed porcupines ever to go to restaurants the restaurants can't really afford them the consumers wouldn't afford them at that price so they're going back to the traders and um, buying them directly from hunters to supply the restaurant. It's often said that commercial farming can reduce demand on the wild species, but you found that wasn't the case at all. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in this case, it's particularly interesting because um, the province I went to is Sun La province, which is up in the northwest of Vietnam. And it's right on the border with Laos. And on the other side of the border um, there is Nam Et Pului National Park. And they have really brilliant data over the years of um, various uh, wildlife and you, you see in almost all of the wildlife um, that is traded mostly illegally there has been decrease in um, over time over the past 10 years or so but, but porcupines have had a massive decrease as um, farming popularity has increased and they're also finding that the uh, hunters they are catching are being caught with pairs of porcupines, a male and female pair. And so the indication is that the increase in farming is directly responsible for an increase in hunting of these animals in the wild. Now that's counterintuitive, that the <laughs> increase in farming is directly responsible to the increase in hunting. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit, I mean, you can see it is a little bit of an extreme case because you're getting such a massive profit margin from these um, porcupines and it is being so actively encouraged and so what you're essentially getting is this pyramid scheme of just so many people wanting to jump on this bandwagon and so there's a massive demand and that is presumably fueling the increase in wild offtake with an increase because at the moment the actual the commercial closed bred farming system can't meet the demand so where's the demand going to come from it's going to come from the wild populations eventually can it meet demand would eventually is is this just a blip well from what i've seen the current status is entirely unsustainable you can't the, the profit margin can't carry on going and at some point they must level off the number of farms to um 
in the number of porcupines and also then there'll be a flood in the market probably of more readily available um, uh, porcupines that could actually become meat and go to the restaurants um, so it'll be interesting to see what will happen in the next few years really in terms of whether it will level off or whether there'll actually be a complete crash um, but there is also a worry that they've just started selling to China and China is actually one of the biggest problems when it comes to illegal wildlife trade in Southeast Asia because obviously it's such a huge huge market so if they've just started getting the idea of um, porcupine meat and also porcupine farms in China that'll probably fuel this um, increase for a little while yet. Have you tried porcupine meat? What does it taste like? <laughs> I did not um, <laughs> but I have been reassured that um, it's really, in, in, in their words, it's um, a really good meat because it's really tough and strong smelling. So I'm not sure I would like to try it. <laughs> Somehow that doesn't increase its attractiveness. But. No, no I, I was definitely all right with not trying it. But um, yeah, over there, tough, <laughs> smelly meat is the way to go. And they're willing to pay through the teeth for it. <laughs> so in a restaurant, how much would it cost? Um, it, the going rate is about $30 a kilo in a restaurant, and it's going for sort of $50 a kilo in China. And $50 a kilo in China. Yep, which is wow. even out of my budget. <laughs> <laughs> is this same thing happening vis-a-vis -vis other species? There, um, commercial farming is definitely on the increase um, in Vietnam, and there is already evidence of, a little bit of evidence of um, what can go on in terms of things like there's a seeker deer and there's a Siamese crocodile, the two species that are really well farmed, but you'll basically never find in the wild anymore. And that's partly because of de the demand for the animals itself, and it's partly because of the um, uh, the farms. Um, so there is little doubt that these species are actually going to go extinct, but in the wild they've been completely extirpated and you only find them in their thousands in the farms and as they as commercial breeding increases that you are seeing that they want to do this with more species and for instance there's a cousin of the porcupine which is the brush-tailed porcupine which actually despite its name it looks like a giant rat with um, a pom-pom on the end of its tail a spiny pom-pom on the end of its tail and this is another really sought after meat it's a little bit smaller than a porcupine um, but at the moment, they can't figure out how to breed it in captivity. And there's a lot of people trying. But uh, organizations are worried that if they figure out how to breed it in captivity successfully, there'll be a massive increase in hunting of the wild one to, again, stock the farms. What's the problem with breeding it in captivity? Um, these ones are quite uh, fussy, basically. So they get upset being in small cramped conditions and not having the right food, unlike our poor friends of porcupines. <laughs> so if they're um, kept in uh, inadequate enclosures, they won't breed. So really, those porcupines should end up being higher ma maintenance. <laughs> Absolutely. <For> their, <laughs> being flexible is not an advantage in this case. <laughs> Absolutely. For their own good, they need to get fussier. <laughs> And what about, you said the Sika deer and mm -hmm. crocodile? Yep. What's happened there? They breed easily in captivity? 
yeah again they're relatively easy to breed not quite as much as the porcupine you do have to have a better setup like obviously a pond for the crocodiles and so on but again you'll see scenes of sort of hundreds of animals kept in quite small area and they breed relatively well so thousands were taken out of the wild to supply the demand and to supply the farms and you just don't find them locally in Vietnam anymore and part of this was because of the farms. Is the government worried about that? Has there been any changes in policy for promoting wildlife farming? Not up to now. I think before now there hasn't really been a link between the two and also both of those species are all of those species are sort of relatively widespread species so there isn't really the incentive and the government can say what are you talking about there are thousands of deer left there are thousands of porcupines left which there are but not in the wild and really in Vietnam there isn't um, due to uh, other situations going on and development and deforestation there isn't the natural habitat for a lot of these species anymore either um, but so on a local level it looks really bad for these species but therefore it's quite hard to get the government to sort of recognize this and do anything about it and as we say these are the much more widespread species more worrying is things like um, in China for instance they have over 4,000 tigers in commercial farms yet they think there's fewer than 20 left in the wild and this is obviously um, a big uh, charismatic but very threatened species and again if they're saying oh it's fine we've got them in farms that's not really good enough for such a threatened species. So how much have the populations been reduced? You said the sika deer and the crocodile haven't, basically you can't find them in the wild anymore. What about the porcupine? The porcupine has been pretty much locally extirpated from large portions of Vietnam. Like chatting to people in Sun La, in the province, they, a lot of them would say, oh, they used, you used to find porcupines around here, but they're not here anymore. And indeed, talking to uh, people and seeing where they actually got the porcupines from, none of them got their wild porcupines locally. And they would say that these porcupines did come from Laos, or did come from Cambodia, and did come from Thailand, because they all recognize. And some of them even said, oh, they've been hunted out here. You don't find them here anymore. So they, they're really, even though these are really unfussy animals, there's just been too much hunting pressure um, to find them locally anymore. When you were talking to the farmers, were they open to talking? Much more open than I'd expect them to. Um, so they would happily show off um, all of their porcupines. They absolutely loved giving me a tour of the farm. Um, but they would talk about the wild ones quite a lot. And you would think um, from the type of surveys we're doing, and obviously it is a legal activity, they'd expect them to be a little bit cautious. And so it's quite likely that a lot of the figures... Um, I've got back as a result of the study a probably conservative estimate because some people would be a little bit wary about talking to me but in general they were fairly fairly open and were happy to chat about pretty much any aspects of porcupines you care to think of and also what their neighbours were up to which is always very good gossip. <laughs> Was there a lot of porcupine competition? <laughs> there, there is, but because because there's so uh, much demand for the porcupines, 
it's all very sort of friendly competition. So there's competition in terms of you want to do better than your neighbours, but there's never any worry that you won't sell your porcupines. So if you have customers come to you and you don't have any left um, just because maybe you've only got really young ones so you've got to wait a couple of months before they're old enough to sell. Um, they did a very good job of recommending other farmers that you could go to to buy your porcupines and they would share tips and so on. And in the town they were setting up um, the first porcupine club as it were so that the farmers would have a hub that they could all talk to each other and share tips and um, sort of set up a community to expand the farming and encourage it. The expanding market, is that within the village or were people, is it expanding out from this province? Are there certain provinces that farm more porcupines than others? It's expected, um, it seems that up, up in the northwest is one of the, or has been up until now, one of the um, most important areas for porcupine farming. And it's probably simply because it's in the area where there's the still the highest rate of um forestation in the in the provinces and next to Laos which is obviously much more underdeveloped um, in comparison and so this is where you find the porcupines and when you ask them where they're selling them to a lot of them are within the province but more and more it's to definitely the surrounding provinces and then you'll see also to essentially where all the urban areas are so they've even started farming porcupines in um, Hanoi in high-rise flats what? And they're putting them <laughs> in you can because you can farm them on the balcony. You can farm them on the roof, um, and then you, they're also selling them to the large cities further south in Vietnam, and also now to China. So they're selling them to where the meat should end up, but they're selling them only to other farmers. Oh, it seems like a strange market based on this fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> And are there any efforts to reduce demand for the meat in the first place? Uh, no, not really at all, because uh, it's it's a sort of a status symbol. Then the actual eating the meat is fine, and it's sort of self-encouraged because obviously you want to show off to all your friends that you're serving porcupine meat at your daughter's wedding and so on and so forth. And because there are so many farms now, and that is legal, there isn't any incentive to um, reduce popularity for the meat itself. You had said earlier that there's this uh, perception that wild-caught is better than farmed porcupine. Mm -hmm. Why is that? What's the, what's the idea behind that? Is that just because of the price? Um, the perception that wild-caught is better is sort of a, a traditional um, perception so although well if you're talking about farming then people are often buying the wild caught because they're cheaper um, but when it comes to eating the meat people are genuinely believe that um, the wild caught ones will taste better so they want to have wild caught meat and you can talk to the restaurant owners and so on and most of the restaurant owners say there's no difference in the taste whatsoever but our customers think there's a difference in the taste so we will continue to buy wild or in a few cases we'll tell them it's wild whether it is or not um, and there's even cases in some wild meat restaurants that they if they don't have even the right meat they serve, they just serve up a different species and clearly consumers can't actually tell the difference so in some cases they may think they're eating porcupine and actually they're eating dog but 
because the customers think that there's an, a better flavour in the wild caught ones, there is this consumer demand still for the wild caught ones, which are currently still cheaper. You'd think that the price for wild caught would increase because it's more demanded. Yeah, well, the price for wild caught has basically increased in line with um, the increase in uh, commercial, but at a, still at, at a lower rate. So presumably if um, the level of farming did level off and become a little bit, bit more um, sustainable and sensible, um, then you'd also see that in the wild one because essentially because it's an illegal trade, they're just trying to undercut the legal trade. So it's still worth it for the hunters to go out and catch these animals and sell them for a slightly lower price than they would for the farmed ones, just to keep in on the market. And who is doing the hunting? The hunting is um, done from what I found is mainly done in Laos, and they it's usually just local guys, and it's sort of putting together an income, and they use very um, basic uh, traps and snares, and they hunt with dogs, as I was saying, and they actually get only a very small profit. Well, in comparison, they only get a very small profit, so they only get sort of two hundred to two hundred and fifty dollars per pair of porcupines. Yet these porcupines are still being sold for five hundred dollars to the farms, so they're actually being there are middlemen, there are traders who are buying them from the local guys who are hunting them in Laos, bringing them across the border into Vietnam, and selling them at a much increased profit. Is there a way that wildlife farming could work? You know, what would it take for commercial wildlife farming to work? I think absolutely and you've got to remember that I think in most cases it's not necessarily that this shows that commercial wildlife farming is bad it's very much sort of a case-by-case -case basis and a species basis so this is we're talking about a luxury trade and that's probably why it's a problem whereas when you're looking at Africa and the bushmeat over there that's for subsistence so that's far more likely to be effective and work and be a, a sort of a winning combina uh, combination for a way for people to uh, get out of poverty, have the subsistence, and also have a much smaller impact on um, their environment. Um, for it to not be a problem in Vietnam, clearly it is illegal, but there isn't really any disincentive for um, traders at the moment. I mean, they're talking about such huge profit margins. Even if they get caught, they get fined something like $1,000 to $2,000. But that's practically a day's work for them. There's really no point not to. So for it to work, which it could do in Vietnam, it would have to be a closed cycle system. So there would have to be a much higher disincentives for the hunters and legal traders to do it and a much higher rate of prosecution for the people that are doing it illegally. Are there prosecutions of porcupine traders? Absolutely minuscule amount. Like the year before I was there, they had three prosecutions. Now I met about six to ten people who were trading illegally in my few weeks in the district alone. And this is people happily talking about it. So there is no way there's only three people doing illegal activity. Um, so just the prosecution rate is just ridiculously low at the moment. And what caused those three prosecutions? Um, in all likelihood, they probably couldn't pay the fine. 
to keep the FPD happy. Because it's quite clear in other cases that when people have um, got illegal porcupines on their farm, rather than being pro 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 prosecuted, they're just paying fees to the rangers and then they're happy to go about their business. So either there'll be high profile cases, um, maybe they'd have been caught with other more um, controversial species, or they just couldn't pay the fine on the day. Does your study say, you know, can it be, can the findings be extrapolated to rarer species? Uh, we can't really say for definite um, what would happen, but that is sort of a big worry, um, especially when governments are using it as an example of conservation, um, and it clearly isn't, and it isn't working. And there's already concerns about the tiger farms in China being a front for laundering tiger parts, because these farms, um, although they can't, for instance, they can't sell the bones, if a tiger naturally dies, then they can sell the bones, etc. So then they're using that as a front for what could potentially be using wild-caught tiger bones and selling those onto the market, because again, they would have a massive profit margin. Um, and at the moment, the monitoring just isn't that great, and the enforcement just isn't high enough. But also the data isn't really there. So we can't definitely say that, this, that there is the connection for the more threatened species but this is sort of evidence that maybe there, there is, and we need to know more to make sure that this isn't happening. What about bears? Because bears, both in Vietnam and China, are being farmed or milked for their bile. Yeah, absolutely. And um, met some of those whilst I was going uh, around the uh, porcupine farms. Um, again, that is a problem. Less so than some of the species, and because they're sort of harder to keep, and in most cases there'll only be one or two as opposed to the much larger um, farms. And they, they think they have much better awareness there, and organisations such as EMV and so on working for the bears, whereas some of the less heard of species have less support. But bears are definitely a massively overtraded um, species. Do you see that porcupine farmers are also getting involved in other species, or is it really just porcupine, porcupine, porcupine? The vast majority of people, it is just porcupines, because it's very very much ordinary people, um, ex-farmers and so on, um, who have literally set up the these farms in their back garden. The more worrying ones are the sort of large-scale farmers who might be saying, oh yeah, I'm looking at other species and I could get so much more if I could get these um, brush tails to breed and oh, I've just got my first bear and so on. And they're more worrying because they could do some damage. But at the moment, most of the everyday porcupine farmers are very much all about the porcupines. And what additional research is needed to look at the commercial farming and how to make it more sustainable? I think basically a good understanding of the supply chain um, um, is needed so that, you know, this, this study built up a little bit of a, um, an idea of what's going on exactly with these porcupines, where they're coming in from Laos, they're being traded by somebody else and then being put either into a farm where they're being traded again or going directly into um, the farms for uh, closed systems. And then looking at the fact that demand is far outweighing supply at the moment. So obviously there is... Um, a need for um, more animals than this is at the moment coming from the wild. But this is only known for the porcupines. So for other species, there needs to be a better idea of what's going on and what the um, criteria are that's pushing the supply and demand. 
And then also, even for this uh, porcupine study, it's very much a snapshot, so it needs to know what's happening in the future, especially with this really weird pyramid scheme that's going on that seems fairly unsustainable, um, and what the long-term prospects are for this sort of trade, so what the long-term results will be of having this encouragement of commercial wildlife farms. Because the fact that demand is far outstripping supply would lead one to continue to expand the farms and have that be the solution. Absolutely. And clearly, in this case, it's not working because it's just encouraging more trade more um, trade and of the hunted wild species. And that's not the point of it. So um, a better understanding is needed. And then also realising exactly what's needed um, from Vietnam in terms of the monitoring government and enforcement so that they, if they are going to continue to do this, if there is continued demand for porcupine meat, that they can set up a system where they aren't having such an impact on the wild populations. Is there monitoring of the populations itself or no, because they're all coming from Laos and you don't have control over that and it's yeah. so underdeveloped? Yeah, there isn't any really um, monitoring. There is monitoring um, in Namit Pului National Park, but this is from conservation organizations. Uh, doing it to see the impact and again also in this case it's because there are tigers in the park so really the only reason we know so much detail about what the porcupines are doing what the deer are doing and so on is because they get eaten by tigers so they want to know what's happening to the tiger prey so it's only because there's a large charismatic animal there that um, a lot of money can be poured into that we actually have an idea of what's going on um, for the other creatures in the area. Do you know how much populations have declined in Laos or in the national park? Um, I don't have exact figures at all. If people are interested in commercial f wildlife commercial farming, what can they do to learn more or to help? At the moment, there isn't a great deal of information out there. Um, I think it is important to realize that it isn't necessarily always a bad thing. As I said, in Africa, it is encouraged and seems to be a very successful way of um, meeting pro-poverty needs with uh, minimizing the impact on the environment. So you can't just take a look at this, have a blanket case, go commercial breeding is wrong, let's be negative against it. But it is important to see what the impacts can be. Um, obviously the thing is like, if you're ever traveling in the area, especially Southeast Asia, definitely don't buy any sort of traditional Chinese medicines. Um, because they more than likely they're always going to come from wild uh, animals and usually often threatened wild animals um, but at the moment really what's needed is steps from the government in vietnam there's a larger market for exotic meats or wild meats than there is for animals for use in traditional medicine or are the markets pretty equal um yeah, there are large markets for some species for traditional Chinese medicine, um, but this is usually more exclusive and it is usually very um, expensive, and it will be certain species such as the tiger, the bear, even um, parts of rhinos and so on. And uh, the porcupine is actually used in um, traditional Chinese medicine, but isn't a particularly uh, popular one. So the impact for them is very much through... Um, meats. This porcupine farming is such a strange scheme. I is it sustainable? 
I want to see what will happen in the future because I can't help but think it's going to crash. But at the moment, it's just crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. It's just, uh, wow, that's, <laughs> I haven't heard of anything like that. Yeah. I mean, are there other examples of this kind of pyramid scheme for commercial farming? Not that I know of, no. And I also don't think most commercial farms are that well documented because they sort of just gradually build up, which is what's happened here as well. It just so happens that I think because um, the guys working in Laos noticed that they were catching everybody with um, pears or porcupines is what first made them think what's going on here and made them worry about the connection between the farms and the, the, the natural populations. Um, but I think in most cases, because they've just started off at very small scales and gradually built up, it isn't really very well known exactly what's happening. Well, thank you very much, Emma. You're very welcome. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with the World Conservation Union's Emma Brooks about illegal wildlife trade in Vietnam and whether commercial wildlife farming of porcupines helps or hurts that species. Edited transcripts of selected programs are available on my website, laurelnemi.com, and also on mongabay.com. That's M-O-N-G-A-B-A-Y.com. You can also find archived episodes of The Wildlife on iTunes, at my website, laurelnemi.com, and at laurelnemi.podbean.com. You can stream The Wildlife live at theradiator.org every Monday from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Of course, if you have any comments about this show or ideas for future ones, you can email me at laurel at laurelnemi.com. The Wildlife is generously underwritten by the Lake Champlain Land Trust, a nonprofit organization permanently conserving the lands, lakeshore, critical wildlife habitats, and natural areas of Lake Champlain. More information is available online at lclt.org. This has been The Wildlife. I'm your host, Laurel Nemi, and you're listening to The Radiator, 105.9 FM, WOMMLP in Burlington, Vermont.